Welcome to Scanner School, session number 45. This is one scary episode. Welcome to the Scanner School, a podcast dedicated to the scanner radio hobby. Class is about to begin. Here is your host, Phil Lichtenberger. So welcome to Scanner School, session number 45. Today, we are going to talk about a very controversial topic. We are going to talk about encryption. But before we talk about encryption, I want to thank our Patreon supporters. Our newest Patreon supporter, William Arcand, and he got in last week, and he's our newest Patreon supporter. So, William, thank you so much for coming forward and becoming a Patreon supporter of the podcast. You joined the ranks of Mark Beebe, Kenneth Fowler, M.T. Bono, and James Belling. All of you guys support the podcast on a monthly contribution basis. If anybody would like to help support Scanner School, we have several different ways you can do so. First one, obviously, now is Patreon, where you pledge a certain amount of dollar amount per month, and that helps fund and, and pay for our hosting and, and, and putting the podcast together and the equipment and whatnot. So, yeah, because there's some expenses to putting this podcast together. Also, we have a one-time PayPal donation and also affiliate marketing. So if you're in the market for anything on Amazon, you can buy it through us and we get credit for the sale. If you're in the market for some scanner radio software, I strongly recommend Butel. And if you purchase Butel via our website at scannerschool.com slash Butel, uh, we also earn a small commission on Butel software as well. Now, also, we're also supported by East Coast Pagers. Now, East Coast Pagers is one of my online companies. Now, East Coast Pagers is a Unication, Apollo, and Swiss phone pager dealer serving the United States market. We specialize, though, in the Fire Pagers. You know, everybody's got these minute or five, minute or six pages by Motorola. Well, yeah, there's other companies out there, and I sell a lot of the Unication and Swiss phone products. And right now, I'm selling a lot of the Unication G1s and G5s because the deal that's out right now is phenomenal. There's $50 off a Unication G1 pager. If you're in a department that's looking to make a bulk purchase, you can get a free five-year extended warranty if you buy 20 or more. But if you're looking for a P25 pager, you can get $100 off a G5 unit. Now, the G5s now are selling for the price of the G4. What's the difference between the G4 and the G5? Well, the G4 just gives you 700-800 band reception. The G5 adds either one of the following, VHF or UHF. So it's a nice little pager. A lot of people are using these in simulcast areas, and they work extremely well. So from East Coast Pages, all G1 products ship with a spare set of batteries. All G-Series Pages, as the G4, G5, and G1, ship for you free with a spare belt clip. And we also include basic programming for your department in the pager as well. So you can look at all the details on this promotion at eastcoastpagers.com. Again, eastcoastpages.com. Now also, sign up for the mailing list at East Coast Pages because in just a couple days, there's going to be another contest, and we're going to give away a Unication G1. So you want to be on that mailing list to find out more. So go to, Unica- uh, go to eastcoastpagers.com slash newsletter. All right, guys. This, this podcast comes out a day, maybe a day or two before Halloween. I'm kind of recording this one in advance, so I, I'm not really looking at the calendar. But I know Halloween is just around the corner. And I want to bring up a really, really scary subject, something that frightens a lot of us scanner users. And, yes, that's encryption. So... This is not a guide on how to decrypt anything. We're not breaking encryption here. This isn't a how-to guide. 
We're not going to go into, will this do that or this? Do? No, that's not the whole point of this conversation on encryption. Really, this is a history lesson on encryption. This is how to find out where things are encrypted and what to do if you live in a neighborhood like I do that has a lot of encryption. So there are many types of encryption used during history. So from telecommunication through World War II to today's public safety methods. Now, we're not going to go into anything. So we're not going to talk about Sig Sally or, you know, Enigma. I mean, Enigma is more of a data decoder. But, you know, we're talking about anything that was basically used over a two-way radio. Something that the PD would have used, public safety, something like that. So we're not going to be getting into all the fancy kinds of encryption. Just what is typical from our seats or, or from the, our side of the speaker, so to speak. Encryption is really comes in two flavors. There's an analog encryption and a digital encryption. And also, there's a part that encrypts the transmission or the audio, and there's a part that decrypts the transmission or the audio. So in the very simplest form, encryption is basically an encoding of the signal, the audio signal, in either analog or digital format. So only those who have the authorization to listen to that transmission are able to decode it. Now, digital versions of encryption are done via an encryption key. Now, an encryption key on the radio must match the decryption key. So let's think of one way of encryption that we're all kind of familiar with. Like we all have, or most of us, if we haven't cut the cord yet, have paid for a TV service. Maybe it's a movie package. Maybe it's a sports package. Maybe it's, I don't know, whatever kind of package that is a tiered value that you some people just want. They just think they, they have their entitlement to. Uh, here in the States, right, it's home box offers or the movie channels or, or maybe it's the sports packages, whatever else. But really, you're not able to watch those TV channels without paying for the subscription. Once you've paid for that subscription, the cable or satellite company sends the image to your cable card that gives you the keys to open up and decode the video signal for the movie package or the sports package. Without that cable card or satellite card and without those specific codes on that cable card that descramble that information or decrypt it, you're not going to be able to watch it. That's exactly the same thing. It's very similar in the way that it works with scanning and, and voice transmission. All right, so let's talk about one of the earliest and easiest methods of encryption, which is basically just scrambling. So the, the frequency of the audio, not the actual carrier frequency, was shifted or inverted. And the volume on the shifting and inversion was also modified. So it kind of gave you like a Donald Duck sound or a warble effect when you would try to listen to anything that had that type of encryption on it. Now, it's really only 32 inversion keys to choose from. And this kind of inversion encryption or inversion scrambling can be found on very entry-level two-way radios. So those Baofeng and TYT radios that are really big from China that have inversion on it, that's really all it is. It's just a simple frequency inversion, and they're really not that secure. A step up from analog frequency inversion was the rolling code. Now, again, this is also an analog form of encryption. Rolling code builds on the inversion encryption by adding a couple more codes to it, whereas inversion only had 32 keys. Rolling code has 1,024 keys. Now, I said just a couple. So really what happens in rolling code is the voice signal is inverted at a constantly changing rate. The audio frequency rises and falls 
to a set volume also over time. So the lows and the highs and time values are all part of this encoding scheme that also need to be decoded. So while simple inversion might be built into entry-level radios, the rolling codes were more or less optional features that would have been added to mid or higher tier radio users. All right, so that's really the only thing I want to talk about when it comes to analog type of encryption. We're going to talk more about the brand name here, Motorola SecureNet, because that's really the most popular that's out there, and the flavors of this SecureNet protocol or protocols. So SecureNet is a digital encryption. It was created by Motorola, and this is only going to work on Motorola gear. They are programmed in the radio using a key. And if you try listening to SecureNet using your scanner or radio, all you really hear is just digital noise or static. It's all it really sounds like to you. So there's a couple of flavors we talked about. Is One of them is a trade name, DVP, which is Digital Voice Privacy or Digital Voice Protection, which was a Motorola canned term for basically their, their SecureNet features. Now, in the 1970s, the data encryption standard was created, also known as DES. Now, basically, the federal government here in the States decided that they needed to encrypt files. They needed to encrypt electronic data, especially ones that were using across multiple agencies. So they needed to be on the same page when it came to how to open up these encrypted files. And DES wasn't just limited to files on the computer network, but it could be used on any type of data transmission. So what kind of files were used with DES encryption? Bank records, documents that had sensitive personal information on it, uh, those kinds of things, right? That's how you would use it in, in a corporate environment. DES on a two-way environment would just be your transmissions. Now, DES uses a 56-key, 65-bit uh, keys, and has a self-synchronizing method of encryption called cipher feedback. Now, we don't use DES anymore. Or we shouldn't say we use, but if you're a home user encrypting files, please don't use DES. But the government agencies haven't used DES because they found out in 1988, now we're going back 30 years now, 30 years ago they found out that DES encryption could be figured out using a computer in just 56 hours. The computer would just brute force its way in there, just go number after number after number. And that's how fast it would figure out what the keys were. So it really is no longer a secured method because of how the computers work. Now again, computers from 30 years ago are a lot slower than they are today. So imagine how much faster a DES encrypted uh, transmission or packet could be decrypted. So another problem with not only DES, but encryption in general was that people were finding out and end users were finding out that their footprint, their, their, their ability to get onto a network and, and have a decent conversation using their two devices shrunk about 30% when they used encryption. Because don't forget, not only are you trying to have the radio receive an analog signal, but it also needs to have clean signal error-free or mostly error-free so that it can put all the zeros and ones back together again so that it can decrypt the signal. So Motorola went back to the drawing board and they kind of figured out a way to retool these encryption methods so that you can regain your footprint. So not only now do we have DVP, but there's DVP XL, DES, DES XL, and just straight out XL. And these were the five types of SecureNet supported encryption methods that were then released, but none of them are interchangeable. You can't talk XL into ESXL or 
DVP-XL. So you had to be on the same page as everybody else. Now, what about the users that are outside the United States, right? Because Motorola really was working with the federal government here in the U.S. for this. There was an export version of, uh, of this encryption called DVI-XL for Digital Voice International. So it operated with a lower keys than DES-XL, but it was still something that was available for the foreign users of Motorola. So now we graduate into AES, or Advanced Encryption Standard. AES-256 is now the current industry standard for two-way radio encryption. AES, by the way, is available in 128 and 192, but we use 256 bits for encryption. And according to studies, it would take about 25 to 30 years to break the key sequence. So that's, that's quite a bit of time. Also, to add... The P25 Compliance Assessment Program, or the P25 CAP, states that all radio equipment that requires encryption must use AES-256. So you can have a radio that supports another type of encryption, but that radio must also be able to support AES-256 to be compliant. And why do they want you to have AES-256? So you could be on a mutual aid and, and have it in your radio already. You know, if you're paying for the encryption on a radio so that um, you can use it on somebody else's network. So how do we get the keys into these radios? Well, somebody obviously makes the keys up and they, and they have it in the system. But to get it in the radios themselves, you would use what's called a variable key loader. Now, a variable key loader is pretty expensive to begin with, but and they were highly, highly protected by the radio folks. You wouldn't want a variable key loader, a VKL, to get out into the wrong hands. And basically what happened was, you would have the variable key loader and you plug it into the radio using the uh, auxiliary port, the accessory port on the side of the radio, and you would just punch in the keys or you would bring the keys up from memory and it would force it into the radio. Now, some radios would only support a single key. Other radios re would also support multiple keys. So, you know, you had to watch out where the system was, what system you were going on, if the keys were outdated. So a lot of times, you know, you'd have one guy if out in the field that would just program up these radios using the variable key loader. But what happens, though, if a radio is lost or stolen? If you lose a radio that has the keys in it, now the person who stole the radio can listen to what's going on. Your encryption is compromised. If the only way to reprogram everybody in the fleet is to have one guy with a variable key loader and walk over to everybody and start reprogramming people's radios, that's a bit ridiculous. So there's a better way of doing this, and it's called over-the-air rekeying, or O-T-A-R. So basically what happens is there's a programming terminal and you can then send out as a data stream over the network the new encryption keys. Now, obviously, if our radios are turned off, then I can get the new encryption key. But you can also filter out the radio IDs that were stolen and do not send the new encryption key to the stolen radios. All of a sudden now that radio is bricked. If they didn't send the, 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 the stun command to the radio ahead of time, but... You know, if somebody were to turn the radio on later on and the keys had rolled, then you can rekey over the air. So what has the FCC said when it comes to encryption? What's their mandates? What's their do's and do nots? Well, the FCC actually stepped in and said, encryption may not be used on the nationwide interoperability calling channels in the VHF, UHF, 700 and 800 bands. And these are part of the NIFOG channel layouts. If you need a link to the NIFOG channel guide, which is a really great document, by the way, if you haven't taken a look at it yet, I'll link to it again in the session notes at scannerschool.com session 45. 
But if you go into um, the NIFI document and you, and you scroll down to the interoperability sections for the VHF, UHF, 700, 800 bands, you'll get the frequencies for those. Also, encryption may not be used for the national interoperability, interoperability tactical channels that are located in VHF, UHF, and 800 bands. So like VTAC, UTAC, 8TAC may not have encryption on it. Now, encryption may be used. You can use encryption on the mutual aid channels, such as VFIRE, VMED, VLAW, and the UHF MED frequencies. So where I'm from, they use MED Control 9 and 10 to talk to the hospitals, the ambulances talk to the hospitals when they have a run coming in. So you're allowed to encrypt those channels if you want to protect the patient's privacy. Now, again, it's in the clear here, and there's nothing that goes out over the air uh, that would be sensitive personal information or even violates that even violates HIPAA. I mean, there's no names, no no nothing that would tell you who it is. It's basically just I'm coming in. These are the vitals. End of story. So encryption may also be used on the 700 tactical channels, such as Seven Law, Seven Fire, Seven TAC, Seven Med, and the Seven. 100 megahertz air to ground channels. So how do you know if what you want to listen to is encrypted besides listening to it? What if you all of a sudden realize that something is gone or you're going to visit to another town or another state and you want to know if there's encryption in that area? One of the easiest ways to do so is to go right into radio reference and go into the database. Now, as you scroll through the database, you'll either notice that things are A for analog, D for digital, T for TDMA, um, you know, those those are the standard type of of uh, of tags when you look at the frequency. But you may also notice now there's a lowercase e. Now a lowercase e means there's sometimes there's encryption on the frequency. So or talk group. So it may not be full time, but there's a chance that there might be encryption used on a transmission on that channel or talk group. If there's a capital E, that's full time encryption. So my local police department is on a phase one P25 system. So you'll see capital D, capital E next to that precinct and all the precincts really that are in my county. You'll see maybe a TE if it's phase two P25, T being TDMA, capital E being encryption. Maybe you'll see D lowercase e to mean sometimes there's encryption on there. Okay, so that's that's one way of finding out. Again, go to the radio reference database. You go into either the system or the county. And as you scroll through the frequency of the talk groups, you'll see them on the left-hand side next to either the frequency of the talk group uh, to the left of the actual alpha tag or the uh, description. That's to say that nothing is changed in formatting from the time I record this to the time that you listen to this as well. All right, so let's talk about encryption in some publication. So on October 11th, 2016, the Associated Press put out an article called Encryption Can Sometimes Hamper Rescue Efforts with Multiple Agencies. So the article goes in basically how encryption works and where it may or may not be used, but it also points out some of the issues that some agencies have had with encryption. Namely, they're responding to a scene and they can't talk to their neighboring jurisdiction because they were never given the encryption keys. Or... A radio shop never shared the information or, you know, there's a rescue going on. So there's a lot of things that this article had pointed out 
where encryption was used and put out there. So it, it actually hurt the mutual aid or the ability to bring in an adjacent agency to help out when it comes to an emergency. It also points out that some districts have turned off encryption so they can be transparent. Uh, unfortunately, you know, we're not in one of those areas where I live, but that's a whole nother, whole nother issue. <laughs> now, also, there's a article put out from the National Public Safety Telecommunications Council, or the NPSTC. And their report is called Best Practices for Public Safety Interoperable Communications Documents. Now, when you look at that document and you do a search for encryption, the word comes up 58 times in there, specifically under best practice number 11, where it says the voice or the use of voice encryption on designated interoperability and mutual aid channels can create an obstacle to interoperability and is highly discouraged. In the event encryption is deemed necessary due to a unique operational needs, it must follow the existing FCC regulations and comply with an approved regional communication plan. Interoperable communications are critical in the success of any response when multiple jurisdictions or disciplines are involved. There are standards for the public safety interoperability channels to include channel naming and CTCSS and NAC settings. Adding encryption to interoperability channels can create additional challenges and confusion. There are reported cases in after-action reports where encryption was a factor in the inability to communicate. Also, reports from the NPSC from 2017 specifically states on its very first couple slides that encryption is being used because it's very easy to monitor public safety channels with scanners, web-based radio services, and smartphone apps. And as you scroll through the deck of slides from this 2017 report, not only do you see a picture of an old BCT 350. I don't know who's, you know, what they're so worried about with that one. I mean, anyway, but uh, they also have screen captures of Broadcastify and snapshots of smartphones using apps like Scanner Radio Deluxe. They also used scare tactics such as uh, articles with the with the headlines that read "Gangs are eavesdroppings on police radios via smartphones," and fire departments serving Disney are. Scrambling calls. Now, do the smartphone apps and websites add to this? Do they really cause somebody to want to encrypt because how easy it is for anybody to get a scanner? Is it any easier now to listen than it was prior? I don't know. I mean, maybe we've added stuff onto online streaming and somebody who didn't know you can listen to police channels are now listening, and now they get an interest in a hobby. Or maybe it's what people fear, and that departments are turning on encryption because of streaming resources. Now, me personally, I do stream because I want to be able to listen when I'm at work, and it was something I set up for myself and then a group of people, and it grew from there. But I personally enjoy the fact of streaming. I enjoy being out of listening range and be able to log in and listen to what's going on. Okay? That's my personal thought on this. My other personal thought is encryption is needed. Encryption is needed for officer safety, for federal agency safety. You don't want somebody to do a raid on a house or to do a drug sting and have the people inside listening and get a jump on public safety officers, and then the public safety officers don't go home that night. 
as a listener, I sit here and I want to be able to listen to everything. But I also realize the reality that people's lives are at stake. But I believe there should be a happy medium. Like, we don't need to encrypt Johnny skinned his knee and, you know, his bike is down or his bike was stolen or Fifi is stuck in a tree. Fido got loose. I think that the daily dispatch stuff doesn't really need to be encrypted. If they want to switch over to a tactical channel and encrypt that, to me, I'm personally, I'm fine with that. Because they use MDTs in vehicles out here. And there was plenty of times they say, check your MDT for additional notes. Because they didn't want to put it out over the air. So there has been some form, I'm just saying air quotes here, of encryption for quite some time before they actually encrypt the transmissions that go out over what we can listen to. Now, one key thing for encryption over here, and part of why I believe my local county has encrypted, is because there was a time where um, there was a certain individual that would go to all the calls in the neighborhood and became a nuisance to the police officers. But not only that, there was one time where they were chasing down somebody, and I'm not going to get into the details, but there were multiple agencies there, and an undercover cop did not get to go home that night. So that's one of the reasons I believe that my local police department here decided to go encrypted, right? Because they've had issues with people listening in and it really, really causing a major disturbance within the, uh, the police department. However, our local fire departments here are analog, and they have a problem with the police being encrypted because they want to know what's going on. The volunteer department wants to know that if there's, if there's an accident, if there's a rollover, if there's a pin job, these guys would listen to the police scanners at home. If they would hear that, they would get in the car and start going to the firehouse because there's a couple of minutes delay between when a PD officer shows up on scene, says, hey, we're going to need fire department here, and then it gets dispatched and somebody responds to the house. There's a whole lot of delay time in there. The volunteers would listen and they would know and they would be proactive and get to the firehouse if something sounded good on the police radio. That doesn't happen anymore. So the police department here said, well, you know, we'll issue two radios to the firehouse and one can stay with the dispatcher. But that's great if there's a dispatcher in the firehouse or if a chief didn't take the radio. So there's a lot of give and pull, even in my own county, on the encryption thing. And this is bigger than just a hobbyist saying, well, I want to know what's going on in my street, right? These are public safety or emergency personnel who don't even have access to listen to it. And they have brought this all the way up the chain to argue their point of view. So encryption is definitely something where I can see the need for it, but I also can see the need not for it. Now, I probably have a lot of people overseas in London who are like, oh, whatever, because they are fully encrypted with PD and FD, right? Their rules over there are completely different than they are in the States. We're lucky in the States. We're lucky that not everything has gone Tetra, gone to a protocol that we can't monitor. I mean, there's states out there, Pennsylvania, that have, have open sky. And yes, you can't monitor open sky. It might as well be encrypted. There's no scanner out there that monitors that technology, right? But we're not fully there. We're not fully encrypted. What do I do? What do I listen to here because my local police are encrypted? Well, I listen to the fire department. I've changed my uh, my ears a bit of what I listen to. Instead of listening to the county police, I listen to the state police. Instead of listening to my local police, maybe I'll listen to 
a couple of buff groups. Maybe I'll listen to the MTA police. Maybe I'll listen to, you know, utility companies a little bit closer to find out what's going on. There are ways to find out what's going on. Yeah, you're not going to find out where every police car is going. You're not going to find out where every single emergency is. But you can still keep your finger on the pulse, even with encryption. You'll still know what's going on. We can't really eliminate encryption, but how do we prevent it? How do we stall it? How do we bring awareness to the fact that encryption is out there? You can start a community outreach. Stay involved. Know what's going on in your community. Listen to the, the to the to um, what's going on in your local boards when it comes to town hall hearings and whatnot. When budgets need to be passed, you'll see if there's a new communication network that's part of the budget. Get out there and educate. When I say get a community outreach, make noise. Get in front of the media. Say, this is what encryption is going to bring us. Now, don't be Mr. Tinfoil Hat. Right? You don't want to everybody think you're, you're the local yoo But bring attention to the fact that, okay, you guys want to go encryption, but you don't have to encrypt everything. We understand that there's officers' lives at stake here. Move your conversations over there if there's a problem. Keep it on the MDTs like you do now. But there should be no reason not to keep the day-to-day the, the -day crossing guard duty or please check for an alarm ringing, those kinds of things, on a clear channel. Get out there and talk to your local government representation. That's what they're there for as well. Educate them. Now, you may have some local government representatives who are pro-encryption, and maybe enough people would start to educate them about encryption, how it's not needed. Maybe you have a community that has tight on funds but still wants a new radio network, and you could say, hey, look, you know, if you go encryption, you may not be able to buy a different kind of radio if you decide in the future that you want to buy X brand instead of Y brand. So there are ways out there to get involved with the whole thing of encryption. Now, again, this podcast wasn't here to kind of talk about you know, the pros and cons or how I feel about encryption, but more or less to educate you, the listener, about the different kinds of encryption. I think at this point now I've talked more about uh, the less about what has been involved with encryption and the protocols and more about a commentary on encryption. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut off right here, and I'm going to say that everything we talked about today were in the show notes, all the links. So if you want to go ahead and you want to do your own research, everything I researched I'll put in the links at scannerschool.com slash session 45. So with that, I have one more thing I want to say before I cut off. Remember to go to eastcoastpagers.com on November 1st. Follow East Coast Pagers on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're on Snapchat, yes, yeah, Snapchat as well. But the drawing starts, the contest starts November 1st. If you want a unication, G1 Pager. Now, again, this is only open for residents of the United States of America. That's when the contest starts. And you can enter daily. All right. So eastcoastpages.com slash contest is how you can earn your chance to win a Unication G1 pager. Again, eastcoastpages.com slash contest. All right, guys. We'll talk again next week. Next week, we're going to bring back the Ask Scanner School podcast. So if you have any questions that you want answered, go to our ask page, scannerschool.com slash ask, and submit your questions, and I will play them in next week's podcast. But I'm only going to play them next week if you leave me a voice message. If you write in, it's going to get tabled, all right? 
scannerschool.com slash ask. All right, guys, that's it for the week. We'll catch you all again next Tuesday. We're Scanner School. We teach you everything you need to know about the scanner radio hobby. 73, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Scanner School podcast. Be sure to visit www.scannerschool.com to access the show notes and bonus content.